He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Welcome and thank you again for listening to A Good Talk Spoiled. I'm James Richardson and I'm delighted to say that this week to discuss all the events in golf over the last seven days are Barry O'Hanrahan and Bobby Donnelly. Hey guys. Hey James. How's it going? We have no Alan this week, which probably means that he didn't win the golf tournament over the weekend with Bobby in Sweden. Um, But we'll talk about that shortly. Uh, As always, we appreciate any feedback and comments you have about the podcast. And if there are any golf-related topics that you'd like us to deal with, please get in touch. Uh, Our Twitter handle is at PodcastGTS. We're also on Facebook uh, under A Good Talk Spoilt. And finally, if you want to use our email address, it's a goodtalkspoilt at gmail.com. And if you'd like to hear, uh, if you like what you hear, you might also give us a rating on iTunes. We have a full show this week as we plan to discuss the most important golfing news stories for the past seven days and particularly to have a look forward to the FedEx Cup final. But before we get on to the professionals, we always start with the amateurs and we talk about our own games. And I thankfully have good news this week because this week I played on Thursday in the Glen of the Downs Open competition. I had 38 points, which got me a 0.6 reduction, which means now I'm playing off 14. Wow, very good. That's tough. Uh, Thanks very much. Uh, So aside from that, Barry, did you get to play? I did. Went out with you on Thursday. Um, Threatened good stuff, but a couple of catastrophic shots, you know, dragged me back down. And then played. We played again on Saturday in our vice captain's prize, which was V Par. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's effectively you playing against the golf course uh, in a match play scenario using your handicap. It's a bit of a crap format, isn't it? It's a bit messy, yeah. So um, I think that was the general view on Saturday yeah, I, in the golf club. Most people don't like it at all. I think it's mm. it's probably the the internal mental battle, and you're, you're you're playing against an emotionless opponent, which is the golf course. But if you have a birdie. On a hole where you have a shot, you just lag it up. Which yes. Is, which is stupid. Well, that happened to me on um, the 13th, I have a shot. So I was up I was up on the green in three, and I had two putts for uh, a, a, win. A, a win. Yeah, so I didn't need to go for a birdie at all. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, if you're playing stable for a jig, I could have got four points if I made the birdie putt. So anyway, yeah, I ended up with... I did my gross score calculation. I was level par. I did my, you know, stable for it. I was 36 points, but I was actually one up on the course. So wow. it does, it's kind of a weird format. How did you get on with 15 this week? I par 15. Oh, very Even good. with a duffed chip in there as well. Oh. So yeah, I managed to get up and down after what's, the duffed chip. What's your handicap now? 12. 12.4. Yeah. I'm right on the bubble, but I have... since you're 14, James. 14, yeah. 14.2. Yeah, yeah. And I, I could have had another reduction, I think, on Saturday. I had 36 points and... I think there was at least three or four points left yeah. out there, at least. But anyway. I had a fun one on 18. Um, I was in the bunker, left of the green, and uh, the membrane was kind of showing near my ball. So I had to assume that it wouldn't affect my shot. I mean, I took. I what took, is the membrane? The membrane is the. It's kind of like cotton wool stuff, and it holds the sand up in the bunker and stops the sand kind of falling away into the middle. Um, anyway, we have a couple of little bits that sneak up every now and again. It happens over the years, you know, if they get broken apart. So uh, I assumed there was, you know, there would be no membrane issues. Anyway, my club bottomed out and sculled the ball 
very, very low and fast towards the clubhouse, towards uh, probably a 30-foot high window. Missed it by maybe three or four yards. And, uh, well, obviously, miles out of bounds. So uh, I then proceeded to attack the sand with my sand wedge. Which was a penalty in itself. James, I knew you'd look that up. Yeah, <laughs> I just hammered the sand, then dropped the ball, plugged. I mean, it was, it was moot for the competition at that stage. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I ended up with the... Um, Ending on a sour note, but sure, look, these things happen. You, you, you and the 18th, yeah, struggling. It's not. Oh, was it the 18th point? The 15th, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, we did have a podcast before where you were on a good score on 18, and you bladed it into yeah. the water at the back. Yeah, you seem to give this one mental did, problems. Really. Yeah, well, in my approach, I didn't blade. I just pulled it a couple of yards. So um, it's, that's not bad because usually I'll push, I'll push slice stuff. So in this instance, it's my worst shots are getting a little bit better at touch wood I think we need to get a mental coach uh, on some week to talk I, I think I'd make mental coaches quit the sport yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't think we have enough money for that on this podcast uh, Alan uh, no wrong person Bobby even uh, you played in Sweden as we all know last week yep. um, did you enjoy it what was it like we had a brilliant time I must say um, so we went over to visit Alan in Sweden uh, myself and two, uh, two listeners Stephen and Maddie and it's a bit of an annual match that we play, so we went over. But um, the bad news is, is that myself and Stephen lost, and we relinquished our title. So <gasps> Alan and Maddie uh, took it on. In particular, Maddie played great golf, and he won the individual honours. So uh, both the trophies are, are are leaving leaving this side of the of the town, and heading over to Sweden and over to. Tulfaris. So that's where. The but on the plus is. side, your your parents must be delighted because you're on both on different teams it will always stay in the Donnelly family every yeah, year yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. a bit like the Geller Cup is it? <laughs> yeah, I'd say they're so proud <laughs> but, um, no it was brilliant uh, we played two courses we played a co- course local town Lynch Hopping and then we also played another course Sand uh, Golf Course and they were fantastic and we'll say Lynch Hopping was a bit more like your kind of local course kind of Bit like it would maybe like Ellen Park for people who, for Irish people who, who would know it, but it was it was a bit longer and and and, and in, in our view anyway, it was much better. Really good greens, quite sloppy greens, but really good course, really enjoyable. And is that a public course or is that private members? Uh, I don't know actually, but I think I can't remember how much it, how much it was to pay. I'm still waiting for all the direct credit card bills. <laughs> to come through, but, uh, I think Lynch Shopping was reasonable enough. I'm kind of thinking it might be in around thirty quid or something. Okay. Like that. Okay. Um, we played Sand, which is in the top ten in Sweden, and that was magnificent. Now that was a bit more expensive, so we played. It was uh, we got four a round of golf each, uh, um, stroke savers, and a buggy each, and it came to 500 euros so it was 125 euro each with buggies and all that kind of stuff so but it was one of the, it's one of the premium courses in the yeah. country you know so and uh, that was absolute top class it was a really good golf course and in terms of you say it's one of the top courses over there if you were to compare it i suppose to courses here and the kind of the top 10 that's that's in ireland would it compare or is it well i think it would yeah like do you know what actually would remind me of it it was actually quite a lynx based course but then there was a lot of water on it and a lot of kind of big sand pits and um, in terms of quality of course it would probably remind me a bit of maybe it maybe something like royal dublin maybe that kind of standard so it was really really high standard course yeah, there was a lot of kind of man-made holes where you're kind of the water, you're driving all the way around water and the short par fours and stuff like that. But it was really, really good, really enjoyable. I must say, is it a, is it a thinker's golf course or? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of tee shots that 
you're kind of trying to figure out and you're kind of st- strategically playing your way around. So it's quite good. It kind of would remind me as well of my own course as well, uh, the Monty and Carton, that kind of, it's kind of very much a sand-based course and you've really got to kind of put the ball in the right place around the course. But it was incredible. The greens were fantastic, like really, really quick. Like the first few couple of ones now, we were running them four or five feet past, but if you hit the ball on the right line, it went in every single time. Right. So, so it was really good. Now, the only thing I would say about uh, Sweden, I think it's fair to say, as a golfing destination, it's quite expensive. Like our train, our train journey from the airport into Stockholm Central and out to, out to Allen, and he was about maybe an hour and 20 minutes away. I think it came to about 90 euro in total. Mm, um, that's a hit. Yeah. Now, yeah. we then stopped in the train station. We got 10 beers, and they came to 20 euro. <laughs> so where they give, they all, or where they take, they also give back. So it was pretty, you know, it's kind of reasonable. Now, if you were looking at it as a golfing destination, I suppose one of the cons for Sweden would be is that it can be quite expensive to to go out, to you know, go out for your pints and go out for your meal. But the quality of the golf courses are fantastic. Yeah, and it certainly, it seems that it's not a place that will come to my mind straight away. And it was interesting that that you say, because I was going to ask you that question about whether or not you'd recommend it as somewhere to go over your Portugal's or your Spain's or or even your Italy's or wherever. I I think I would would definitely recommend it as a golfing destination. The cost of things, as I said, going out and playing the courses... But I suppose Portugal is quite expensive in itself, and Portugal's prices are similar to Dublin. I would definitely, I think if people were going to Sweden or they were going there for a holiday, I would definitely tell people to bring the golf clubs and definitely get a golf. It's actually fantastic. The, the amount of golf courses over there and the quality of courses are fantastic. So I would, I would definitely recommend it as a destination, but I said I'd put that caveat on our end price. Do you think it might be the kind of place where you do a three or four day golfing holiday as opposed to the week long standard golfing holiday that people might go to in Spain or Portugal? You know, you might not get as much golf, but it might end up costing you the same amount, but it's kind of more concentra- more concentrated period of time to save you the week-long cost. Well, I think if you're only going for three or four nights, it would definitely make it easier on the, on the yeah. price of the beer and going out and stuff like that, you know. In terms of the experience that you had, and it seems to be generally very positive, um, mm. was there anything that you saw over there um, at either of the golf courses that you kind of said, there's an idea that could make life easier for an Irish golf course? Well, actually, we, we, we saw one of the small basic things is we rented just normal pull trolleys, and I, I haven't seen them in Ireland, but they actually had a little basket, a fixed basket attached to the trolley. Now, initially, I kind of thought it was like when you see a basket on the front of a woman's bike, you kind of go, that's, you know, it's a bit gay having it on the trolley. But uh, it was actually very, very useful, and we put a lot of our, you know, our GPSs, our drinks, stuff like in it. And it was, it's actually something that was so simple to, to do um, in terms of, you know, you're putting your towel, you wet your towel, all that kind of stuff. You don't have to kind of go around your bags. So that, and we'll put a picture of that on our Twitter. That was really good and just something simple that, that I'd like to see in, in Ireland. But the thing that actually, one of the things that caught all of our attention was in lint shoppings. And I went in and just asked for scorecards for all of us. And they computer printed a scorecard for, so we had given all our names for the group, given all our handicaps. And they printed a card for each individual that had your own name on it, your own handicap, had your start time. And but also then it had the other four people's names on it and their handicaps. But then within the scorecard, it actually highlighted on which holes you have a shot. So I actually have Alan's card we have here. We'll put this up, and he had a shot on the sixth, ninth, tenth, and the fourteenth. And you can just see there. There's a one in the top corner. You know that you have a shot. It it, it makes 
and to, I suppose to describe it to, to the listeners, it, it probably would be best described as what looks like an airline ticket. It's yeah. obviously come out of a machine that looks mm. like an airline ticket. The back is constantly printed and they just print out. Yeah. Um, mm. But it, it, what I love about it is the, um, the, the times of each hole, what time yeah. you should have been starting at and what time you should be teeing off at each hole. Yeah, so actually for every hole, it tells you what time you should be starting at. So even if we look at here at this, uh, on this card now, as I said, we'll put this up on the Twitter as well. It says at, at 3.28, you should you should be starting that hole. So, and I think it's great. We talked about pace mm. of play a few weeks ago. It's something that's so simple um, for people to kind of go, well, if I'm hitting my times, you know, I'm happy enough. And this is based on your start time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah so yeah. the first hole was 10 past 2, and we were meant to start at 10 past 2. So the second hole is 2.23. So uh, really brilliant idea and something so simple. I think I would say the best ideas are the simplest. And out of curiosity, does it tell you how long you should be playing for your... Four hours, four hours and two minutes. Four hours, so not too far off what I think a couple of weeks ago we were saying yeah, was about the was average was about four hours. Was bang on the four hours, two yeah. minutes was yeah. our average. Yeah. yeah, so and it's brilliant. It's not. It's un, it's quite unlike some of the systems you've seen over here where clubs will have maybe two or three clocks around the course and they're every six holes. Maybe that six hole gap is just too much, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you've you could have been slow for three or four holes and you've reached that sixth hole and you go, oh no, we're so far behind now. It's, the, the problem has gone too far by that stage, whereas this you see straight away, we're behind by two or three minutes, lads. We need to get the, the foot in the gas here. What's also great about it is you always take the card out at the start of each hole to, to, to put the mark down for the previous that you're yeah. seeing. Oh God, geez, we're four minutes behind here. You know, we better kind of get moving, which I think is nice because you're seeing it actually as is in real time rather and, than... And we did the pace of play. We talked about how sometimes it could be difficult to raise the subject, but whereas here you can actually say, guys, we're actually five minutes off our time and you can address it rather than pointing out, you know, Barry, you're fucking slow as always, you know, pardon for my language. <laughs> but um, so... Here you can actually say, lads, we're on the sixth hole, it's 15, 19, we're six minutes off, and it's a very easy topic to kind of say, let's push on. Everyone goes, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, it's completely fact-based. It's not kind of a feeling that you might be slow or, yeah. But all in all, Sweden, thumbs up. Well, I was going to say out of 10, what would you give it? Seven out of ten, and as I said, probably dock at two just for um, just for the cost of going out. That would be eight out of ten then. No, so seven out of ten. I would have given a nine out of ten if the price were a bit more, um, bit more reasonable. And the golf courses were good, but I suppose if you go to somewhere like Orlando, you'd probably get the real top class courses. You know. Yeah. Well, that's. uh, I should have said at the beginning of this. uh, This uh, the. Our own games this week was sponsored by the Swedish tourist industry. So uh, <laughs> uh, if you want to get onto their website, I'm sure they have great deals. And um, the rules related question um, is the next topic for discussion. And last week, Barry failed to extend his lead, and Alan, by pure luck, I think, fell over the line. I think that's called the gap. desperation, <laughs> isn't it? Well, I think so. Yes. Yeah. So. And um, the situation that we now have is, Barry, you're 20 plays 17, and again, you go first this week. So the question is, Tom, prior to the commencement of his round, adds lead tape to the shaft of his driver. But while standing on the fourth tee box, Tom removes the lead tape from the club and proceeds to hit his shot. What is the ruling? A, no penalty. B, a two-stroke penalty. Or C, a DQ. I'm pretty sure the... Well, sorry, I'm not pretty sure. My answer is going to be a two-stroke penalty. But if Tom was Bob, if Tom were Bob, I'd definitely be going for a DQ. Right, so you're going B. I'm going B, yeah, two-stroke penalty. Mm, Well, I have... Unfortunately, I sent this message to Alan, who obviously isn't on the podcast this week, and he said he's going to come back to me in less than 30 seconds with his answer. But 
we'll give it at the end of the uh, the podcast, and we'll trust that he's not yeah, looking yeah, it up yeah. at this Google. point in time. Google. Um, <laughs> Alan, won't, Alan won't have listened to this before uh, he answers, so I'm just going to say, I think you're in trouble. Uh oh. I think you might be in trouble. Yes, yeah, I definitely want you to be DQ'd in your next comp. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, We'll wait. We'll, usually I do the, the answer now, but I'll do it at the end, yeah. um, and that, that, that will speed things up and keep things moving. So look, the top 200, we've been a few weeks now without the top 200 competition. Everybody has been emailing in and Twittering us and saying, come on, where's the top 200? Where am I? Where am I? So uh, You can all blame Alan. It's his responsibility. Yeah, so yeah. so Bobby, you're going to take responsibility this week and give a quick update to the, uh, the top 200 competition. Yeah, now at first time, I actually asked him when was the last update, so I think it was only um, two weeks ago, I think he was saying, so um, it's, it's actually, there has been a bit of movement uh, in the last while, and the key driver actually has been Tyrrell Hatton, who finished third in the Omega Masters, and he has caused a move for Brian Mulvihill, Maria Janelle Barone, and Kenneth Quill- Quillanan. Uh, Brian Mulvihill went up 41 spots, Marie Janelle Barone went up 30 spots, and Kenneth Quillanan up 29 spots. Um, Kieran Hearn has also jumped 22 spots. He had Seve Benson and Danny Lee. Uh, Danny Lee was 35th in the recent Deutsche Bank. So they're the big movers. Uh, there's been a couple of droppers, but nothing overly too major. And so Brian Mulvihill went from 11th up to 6th. Uh, Marie Janelle Barone has gone from 18th to 18th, despite uh, the jumps. It's <laughs> by the moves. That's quite the talent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kenneth Quillen's just up a spot. And uh, Kieran Hearn uh, actually hasn't moved either as well, so he's still 23rd. But in terms of there has been one positional change in the top five, and this is one of the rare times this weekend that we man- that I managed to meet beat Matt Ward, who uh, was obviously on our golf trip. And so the top five in reverse order, Martin Saccombe is currently fifth. Matt Ward is fourth. Yours truly has moved into third. Uh, Shane McKiernan is second. And he actually has jumped from fifth. Um, and then James English still leads the way. James English was leading by two ranking points. He's now nine ranking points ahead. So that's our top five at the moment. And we will tweet up the full leaderboard. I actually have it done here. I've sent it on to Barry. And we have everyone's players. So you can actually see how you're getting on. I'm on the move. I've moved up two spots from yeah. last. No, no, from second last. Even though, my, even though my overall rankings dropped ten points, I've just been less worse than the other people yes. around me. Yeah, Except 20, that's quite an achievement. Twenty-eight up to twenty-six. Fantastic, um, James. You're tenth um, and move, moving from tenth. Yeah, I think I think that's probably Stuart Appleby had those couple of good weeks. Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah. So and now didn't make it into the Tour Championship, courtesy of the. the Dustin Johnson situation, yeah. which we'll discuss a little bit more later. Um, well, anyway, we'll tweet this up, and we have all we have uh, the, your starting rank, your current ranking, and then the players against each name. We'll put that up on the Twitter handle. Brilliant. And this finishes. When did we say this the finishes? DP World Tour Championship in Dubai, which is tour just near the end of November. November. The that's exact that's, date that's, up that's now the race to Dubai final. It yeah, is final yeah, the finals. Yeah. yeah, the one that Stenson just dominated yeah. okay, last year. Okay, so th- there's uh, still a bit of time for movement to occur on. on that um, and for somebody to perhaps steal the march and get the, the, the prize. So look, looking back at last week's tournament, we had the Euro- Omega European Masters, which was won by David Lipsky in a uh, over Graham Storm in a playoff. Um, David Lipsky started, I think, world number 369. I'm not sure if there's any guys in the top 200 who had him, but he's now just outside the top 150. Um, 
Barry, this was a situation where on the first playoff hole, which was the 18th, uh, Graham Storm has hit it down the left, way out. The other left. The other left, well, whichever left. Puts it onto the fairway. Lipsky's in the bunker, chips out. He's only 86 yards out at this stage. Was that the right decision? Yeah, it was a, it was a weird sort of chip bumped up the left, so it just made sure he could not go in the water. And um, the commentators on your, on Sky Sports were apoplectic. They couldn't believe this, that he had a chance to win the tournament, grab it by the throat, and he, he amateured out. I mean, he effectively did. He completely bailed out. But after, you know, he was vindicated in the end because he said, I trusted my short game. He was relying a little bit on luck because he was playing it into the rough. Just, just explain as well that, as you say, Graham Storm was had to chip it outside as he was in in the bushes, and yeah. Lipsky was in the bunker, and he was in his second shot. And he had eighty six yards over, and the mm. green has water all in the front, front and right, yeah, and water all around the right, and the pin was in in front right. But I think there's also all out of bounds if you go long enough over the back. Uh, the stands were there behind. Now that, I think that's why the commentators are really gone nuts. They said, "Why not just smash it up there? It hits the stands. You get a free drop, and you're just chipping back down the green." Because I, I heard um, Lipsky being interviewed, and he said, "I was worried about catching it heavy and leaving the water. Yeah. I was also worried about like from 86 yards. If you catch, as oh. we all probably know ourselves, if you catch uh, a shot team with a wedge, you probably hit it about 180 over the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. He, he's possibly worried that, and I think the, the uh, one of the um, experts were saying that he was actually taking six out of the equation. He was ensuring by chipping out sideways from the bunker that he was taking a loss mm. in the playoff out of the equation. Well, this is this is my view on it. I think that everybody, and this has been controversial all week, There is everybody has an opinion, it seems to be, on this. I think that this is the guy's first tournament victory. He's 369th in the world. He has a chance to win in the playoff. Mm. You just get it, whichever, however you get it in the hole and win that tournament and get over the line. Mm. We shouldn't really criticise him for it. You know, he did what he had to do. And I think probably we could be sitting here in another universe saying, geez, wasn't he a fool? He was 86 yards mm. out. The guy has just had to bunt one out onto the middle of the fairway in two. All he had to do was just chip it up, you know, get up and down for the par, and he would have won the thing. And isn't it easy to criticise after the event, but if he had gone and put it in the water, we'd all be sitting there going, "What was he doing? Like that's just criminal." Mm. I, I think Bob's. I think Bob's right. I think your kind of approach is he's he's taken the loss out of it or virtually eliminated the loss on that one, on that hole itself. But I mean, obviously, look, it's, he's proven right. You know, his decision has proven right because he's won. But if the results come out differently, if Graham Storm had stuffed it in there inside a foot and a half, and then he had to play his chip down. And, you know, Lipsky makes a five and Storm makes a four and wins with a par, then all of a sudden it's the totally wrong decision. Like, and actually, I know we were taking the mick out of you about 18, but on Glen of the Downs, and it's actually quite similar. You can drive it into a greenside bunker. Mm. Like, if it was a case of Captain's Prize and you needed to make five for to win your Captain's Prize. And one of those 50 to 80 yard bunker shots. Yeah. I'm chump topping it outsideways. And that's exactly the situation he is. He goes, I'm taking six out, still giving myself a chance of four, and still giving myself, mm. uh, making sure that I'm in this tournament. Now, I had heard about this and I didn't see it at the time, but I thought he'd left himself like a really tough chip. But he actually left himself a chip that almost one of us would get fancy getting because he, yeah. he had a downhill lie, which means you're going to get a nice contact and you're going to run it out and he had loads of green to work with. So. Yeah. I, I, I think that the shot he played out of the bunker, I think it kind of caught him by surprise. He actually got that far up the bank, you know. I mean, look, it worked out well for him. I think, I think the thing that surprised me and maybe the commentators as well was that this guy's a pro and, you know, and 
obviously it is a difficult shot and you know it shows how tough it is like for even pros to take on a difficult shot like that under the pressure of winning a tournament and I think that was the thing that surprised me that he didn't go for it the guy's a pro you'd kind of go oh look he can take that on and hit that shot 8 times out of 10 and get it there like I, I, I think the thing that surprises me is, is that the reaction like I know Radar went bananas who's yeah. the course commentator he went bananas and he started cheering on Graham Storm who was in the playoff against mm. him I don't I, I wouldn't have, I'm not disappointed in the way he played it I'm not, I wouldn't have been disappointed if he hit it onto the green either way I think I can understand both sides of what I was a bit surprised about is there's so much reaction about you know calling him a chick and calling him a coward and Radar having such a tough go and I think that's an excessive job. yeah I, I agree with you and I think the fact that as I say and I've said it a minute ago this is his first tournament mm-hmm. it was his biggest paycheck he's I think he got over 400 grand or 350 grand for this this is, is a life changing for him he's he's a young player he's a young guy trying to make it I, two year exemption two year exemption this is absolutely tournament. yeah like mm. at the end of the day we can criticise him or otherwise for what happened but to Graham Storm hand him this tournament he's 16 under leading overnight he has to hold his putt on 18 to stay on 18 under to force the playoff where did it go wrong for him Barry it looked like he got I mean they, they called they called his putt on 18 short in regulation time said, Radar said look he's been struggling with his pace in the greens all day and he left it short then he made a great putt he made, he, he had a terrible swing in the, the playoff on, on the tee shot in the 18 in the playoff hole and that's where he lost it you know, okay. he put himself in trouble. He gave Lipsky that opportunity to do that. And look, Lipsky's the guy that's coming out. You know, he's skipping across the mountains now because he's got the win, and he's proven that he did the right thing at the right time, and it worked out for him. So you know, credit where it's due. Well, Graham Storm didn't have the worst of weekends. He obviously went home with the second purse, uh, second prize purse, and he also went home with the BMW i8 worth 125 grand for acing the 217 yard part three in. Uh, 11th in round 3 it was a fabulous shot Francis Roman Wattle did it the following day do you feel somewhat unfair that he ended up not getting a BMW as well uh, I, yeah <laughs> look it's, it's 125,000 euro car you know you can't expect him to be throwing them up all the time these guys are good you know they can make holes in one a lot more regularly than any of us can some of us can go through our whole lives without one um, what BMW did they, they jumped on it quickly and they said that he could have his choice of any of the courtesy cars they use there for the week and he's going to have free use of that for a year so it's it's not the end of the world but he's obviously going to be gutted because the i8 is a stunning car do you agree with that Bob? I don't I don't agree I think like BMW are such a large corporation I thought they should just bite the bullet and go right here we'll give a second one like it's a whole it's they I know that the terms conditions might say well it's only the first person to make that hole in yeah. one but you know you come to a even when we play you you come to a hole it says if you get a hole in one you get a BMW now I know there's obviously terms conditions but it's only the first player with I an think, asterisk yeah, an asterisk, yeah. yeah. I, I think they should have said well do you know what like if four guys rode in a hole in one's after you go okay fair enough you're not allowed to get a BMW just yeah. one more guy it's 125 grand for a car and they probably make I don't know 3 billion 4 billion euro the amount of money that they spent on advertisement both of the BMW championship yeah. last week I don't think there was any yeah. screenshot of the competition yeah. last week but I, th- I think they did miss out on a great opportunity for you know some extra PR about how great BMW are I mean it, it should also be noted McElroy got free free use of the BMW i8 last week at the BMW championship he had that as his car for the week oh, well, without making a hole I'm sure he can one, afford so. the 125 grand if he wants to buy yeah. it yeah. I have one in every colour of the rainbow, please. Our, our very own Bobby Donnelly last week tipped uh, Tommy Fleetwood, Woodwood, Fleetwood uh, to do well 
at the event. He tied fifth in the end with a 63 on Saturday. Did he just leave himself a bit too much over the weekend, Bobby? I, I didn't see him much of it, but I I came in from golf on Saturday and he shot a 63 on Saturday to get back into it. And I was uh, was very impressed. But And he was only one off the lead, I think, or maybe one or two off the lead going into the final round. So I was kind of hoping he might make a challenge. And I did mention it last week, the course really suits him. Mm. But uh, he had a poor round and I heard that he didn't putt great and that he, you know, it was one of those days where he had to make a few eight, ten footers and he just missed absolutely everything. So, but listen, uh, I think it was joint fifth and 40 to one, get a bit of a decent payout on it, you know. Yeah, so. 31 putts in the last round, that's going to cost you a title. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, like he had 28 points in round three, which was for a 63, so. Yeah, yeah I mean, a lot depends on your greens and regulation for those days, but anyway, good shout, top five, it's a, yeah. it's, that's a good call before a tournament. Yeah, 40 to one, so a decent payout. Yeah, I suppose, it brings us on very nicely talking about a poor putting round in the last round of an event by Tommy Fleetwood and then talking about Billy Herschel and winning the BMW Championship. Um, he wins it by two shots over Bubba Watson, minus 14, minus 12, Morgan Hoffman at minus 11, and then there was a few, Jim Furyk, Ricky Fowler, Sergio, Ryan Palmer, down at minus 9. Billy Herschel over the last kind of season and a half has been criticised quite a lot about his putting but this weekend in round two he held 146 foot of putts and in round three he held 139 foot of putts isn't that ultimately where the competition and the the, the tournament was won by billy barry um, yeah, when you know when somebody who's not doing well in the putting stats, you know, has a, and hits the ball as well as he does when he's on his game, they have a good putting week. They are gonna be up there. And um, Billy Billy showed he was playing well last week, and he he has shown he's a notoriously streaky player when he has gone on and got his wins. You know, I think when he had his win last year, he um, the week before he ran very close. You know, his price shortened, and we all kind of avoided him, and he went on and won. So he uh, he kept it going, and you know he got over that um, heavy six iron he hit on eighteen the week before. Bounce back ability. Yeah, and the thing was, he actually said, "Look, I," he said, when people questioned him and the fact that he might have choked over that, he said, "Look, I didn't choke. I wasn't holding on to it. I had a chance to go after something to win." So he goes, "I just made a bad swing at a bad time." You know, it wasn't like he he lost something that he had in his grasp. And um, showed what what a what a great mental game to be able to just come out this week and go out and win after that. Yeah, I, I mean the one thing is I think all parts of his game were on. In fairness, um, the performance stats from the PGA Championship were showing that he was fifth in scrambling. Um, he was second in greens and regulation, which people who listen to us know regularly. That's for me. That's the the bible of stats. Is if your greens and regulation are good, you're going to contend. Mm-hmm. He was ninth in driving distance. But James, going back to your point, his strokes gained putting. He was first in the field, and he gained two point nine seven five strokes per round on the rest of the field through mm-hmm. it through his putting and just to give a flavor for the whole season he his average is point plus point two so he's only gaining a fifth of a stroke on average every in every event uh throughout the season on putting where this week he gained 2.9 strokes per round on everyone in the field so it was you're dead right it was a huge pickup in his putting stats and that's what and that's what in the end won for him 
do you think that's what he's going to be remembered for or is his performance on the 18th and I don't mean his golf performance on the 18th <laughs> is that what we're going to remember Billy Herschel for uh, yeah they, they might get him to go off and do kind of a, a charity race against uh, might just Usain Bolt or something the, uh, like that so you might just explain to the to the listeners who might not have seen a Barry what actually uh, Billy Herschel did on the 18th but yeah so B- Billy hits his approach shot in hits the green and dead uh, Hands the, hands the club to the caddy and sprints into the crowd and he took off with a fair lick and runs through the crowd and you know answering the call of nature and uh, back he comes on but I mean, like, when you gotta go you gotta go I so uh, he said he'd been hanging on to it for a few holes and he just he didn't find a good opportunity to actually go yeah that's certainly uh, not not the moment you want to need to go to the toilet when you know you're going to be picking up a prize at the end of it plus all the, the bits that go with it in the media yeah it was a combination of the relief I'd say of getting the ball on the green in two and then he goes that's grand now I can just go relax and just let it all go <laughs> I, uh, I actually put up a tweet on my own Twitter handle or retweeted something. There's someone uh, did a little bit of a skit of it. So they have a dialogue where there's a girl talking to a guy and he goes, uh, oh, hi, baby, you want to call over? And he's like, sorry, I'm playing a golf tournament. And then she goes, I'm actually um, I'm home alone if you want to call over. And then it's just a picture. And then says the guy saying, I'll be right over. And then it's a picture of Billy running. <laughs> so uh, it's really good. I, I'll, uh, I've just retweeted it from our account there yeah, for, any, yeah. from anybody who wants to see it. Well, uh, well, well worth watching. It's very funny. I, I suppose, look, there, there was a lot of things that happened on the course. Um, but I think more interestingly are things that happened actually off the course over, the cor- uh, over there. Uh, Keegan Bradley's withdrawal. This was Keegan's first career withdrawal on the PGA Tour as he decided there was questions over the ball being embedded on the 18th hole of his of his opening round. He took a relief under Rule 25 too, which I'm sure Barry knows well from his research. Mm-hmm. But after conferring with the rules official he and a subsequent conversation with a fan, it cast doubt in his mind as to whether the ball was actually embedded. Now, just to give the quote, he said, I just feel with drawing is the right thing to do to protect the integrity of the field at the BMW Championship and the Tour Championship next week. It's eating me alive. What I want to know is, Barry, was he right to withdraw from the tournament on that basis? And the second bit that I'm going to ask you is, is it right that if a rules official comes over and says, it's fine, it's embedded, take your relief under the rule, Mm. it's grand... Should the fans be getting in any way involved in this? No, I mean, I don't think they should. Um, I mean, this is a hard one to call because we don't know the exact sequence of events, but what I heard was the the fan said the ball was, ended up embedded, but it wasn't embedded in the initial mark it made when it landed, so it kind of hopped out and went into another embedded mark. The fan, no, the fan said he actually saw it bounce. Oh, bounced and went yeah. into an embedded mark of some other ball, or well, you see, I think that's the thing is saying that if it went into its own pitch mark, it's it fine. Would have, it would have gone straight in and stayed. But sure, sometimes it could bounce and go back into its own one. I mean, a bit of a fluke, but well, I think that's the point. Yeah. They, they, the fan and actually the fan approached Keegan Bradley after the round and he said, "Listen, um, I saw the ball actually bounce." in the grass bunker now I originally heard I kind of assumed that it was a tight lie which I was kind of thinking well it's very mm. obvious if you're hitting a low ball in and it bounce into the into the bank you'll see it yourself from a distance moving but what actually happens it went into a grass bunker, uh, bunker and so you actually can't see the ball land but that's what happened one of the fans said I saw it bounce so therefore it casts doubt over whether yeah. it's actually in its own pitch mark mm-hmm. and they actually approached him afterwards 
And I, when I first heard this, I thought this was very dodgy. I thought it was very shady that, you know, you know yourself a lot of the time whether you have maybe possibly breached the rules and you always have a doubt in your mind. But actually the fact that it was a grass bunker means that from distance you may well not have seen it and it could have been difficult and then the fan even from 20 feet away the fan might not have seen it or 10 feet away well no the fan is saying that he actually saw the ball bounce so that's mm. whereas the Keegan Bradley's 200 yards back and understand that he, he might mm. have seen it but what I thought the thing that actually made it turn me from being a bit sceptical about Keegan Bradley to actually being quite impressed by what I did is after the round so the fan approached him and I think the next morning actually there's a good piece by Philip Reid today on it that's the Irish Times, isn't it, Bob? Oh, yeah, yeah, the Irish Times, yeah. That um, the next morning, Keegan Bradley returned to the spot where this happened with uh, PGA Tour rules official, great name, Slugger White. Um, <laughs> you can only get that in yeah. America, can't you? And he went through the process and he said, listen, mm. I didn't think, I thought it embedded in his own pitch market. Guys come up to me and said that he saw this bounce and he actually went with the tour official out onto the courts before play and the tour official cleared him. And he went on and played the round and it was still nagging him going, do you know what, I don't know. Now, I always wondered, they going, oh, God, are they going to produce video footage where it makes it blatantly obvious that I know? That's the bit where I'm sceptical. But I think when I review this, I think actually he just said, do you know what, it's not worth the hassle. Mm-hmm. I'm loaded anyway. I don't, I, I get a week. clear conscience. And also I get a week off. And, uh, yeah. Well, this is the thing that I wanted to, to, to raise. Surely with all the cameras that are around, and they have the blimp, and they have all these things yeah. in America. Like, there is a camera, basically, on, I think, nearly every cubicle door over there. Like, <laughs> how they couldn't have seen on a video whether or not... And if a rule official says, no, you're fine, surely that should be the end of it, and not not really... Like, look, as we prove every week in the rules-related question here, we as amateur fans mm. know very few of the rules, and, and the actual interpretations of them, and there's a book I have of the decisions, which yeah. is a couple of hundred pages thick. But... Ultimately, my issue with this is the rule made, the, 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 the official made a decision mm-hmm. and Keegan Bradley should have said, look, that's it. I can understand the integrity of it, of, that he wanted to withdraw. But I just wonder whether the point that you made at the very end, which was it's weekend off, whether there was a bit of that in it of, ah, sure, I'm not going to, he didn't have a particularly great opening round. I'm not going to make the, the tour championship. Um, sure, you know, a couple of days off before I head off to Glen Eagles would be much better. Well, the only thing is embarrassing, I think he finished 34th uh, in the FedEx Cup standing, so he, mm. he could have qualified 33rd. Yeah, he probably just needed to have a couple of all right rounds in the weekend and yeah. he's in the FedEx Cup. But I, the, I think the thing that bothered him as well is he never actually consulted his fellow playing partners. That, yeah, that was another little thing. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of tiny little factors, isn't it, that just let, let his mind be uneasy about the whole situation and, Look, there's nothing worse than having an unclear, uh, having a clouded conscience in golf, and he needed to get rid of it. And yeah, yeah. Um, I think he just was happy with the week off. Yeah, well, I think it might, it might win him a few more fans. You know, people who kind of he might kind of divert, you know, split on a split opinion on. There's other issues that arose over the course of the weekend, which we're going to deal with in an extended preview of next week's tournaments uh, in, in in only a few seconds, but. I suppose we looked at the news. There wasn't a huge amount of golfing news or of, of anything of, of huge note, other than for on the Irish side of things, Bob. I think you have good news for your own home course. Yeah, for people actually who are supposed following the international amateur golf, the World Amateur Golf Championships are on at the moment in Japan, and what this is is that all I think it's seventy two nations from around the world are um, have. Um, 
sent three amateurs to this event and it's a team event so for Ireland for example we have Gavin Moynihan Gary Hurley and Paul Dunn who be three of our leading amateurs and the 72 teams play together and obviously the, the best team event wins so it's actually quite a prestigious event the men's event is the Eisenhower Trophy and the ladies event is the Espirito Santo Trophy and in 2018 uh, uh, Carton House has actually won the chance to host um both of these uh, two prestigious events in 2018. Now, there's no idea whether it be the O'Meara or the Monty yet, but it's a huge um, win for Ireland and a huge win for Carton House, and Carton House is the headquarters for the GUI. So it's a great, great lip for, I suppose, for my own club, but also for uh, Golf in Ireland. Mexico hosts it, hosts it in two years' time. But, um, yeah, it's great. That's great. And, and, and I suppose it's great for, uh, you know, Carton is, I think, 34th ranked in, in Ireland, so it's great to be beating the guys ahead yeah. to show what a great facility there is down there and, mm. and a great course. Maybe they'll think about putting the women out on the Omar and the men out at the Monty and, and just they, let the, uh, the the two go out on the separate courses. They are actually talking about using both courses because I think uh, so. That, I think that might be an option, but we'll probably find more out. I like yeah. that idea, kind of re, you know, test them on their different style, you know, different styles of golf mm-hmm. courses and. Yeah. Okay. Well, look. As I say, there wasn't a huge amount of news, so we're going to, as a kind of a main topic this week, we're just going to have a very kind of quick and extended look at the FedEx Cup and because next weekend is the final of the FedEx, it's the Coca-Cola Tour Championship and I want to start off by talking about Phil Mickelson from last week and I think everybody probably now knows that in the early hours of Saturday morning um, after carding his 70 opening round in the 76, he decided to withdraw from the tournament claiming fatigue. Now, similar to Keegan Bradley, and the question I suppose I'm going to pose to, to Bobby here first is, is it right for a player to withdraw from a tournament in the way that Phil did if he's not injured? I think the quick answer is no. Um, so Phil decided uh, to pull out and his excuse that he said was, my primary goal is to rest and prepare for the Ryder Cup. Without a chance to contend at the Tour Championship, the most important thing for me now is to prepare for the Ryder Cup. So I think it's kind of like I'm after playing uh, 12 holes and I only have 10 points, so I'm going in. I think that's basically exactly what, <laughs> what he was saying. Um, I, do you know what I, I like his honesty? I think he's kind of saying, do you know what, I'm done. Probably a bit harsh on the sponsors, the guys who, you know, there might be people who are turning up um, on Sunday who maybe paid their $80, $100 to come in and see Mickelson. And, um, they're, you know, people might have never seen him play live and they're going to miss out on him. Or they would have missed out on him. Well, this is my issue with it, is that he, there was no cut this week. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, they were there for the four days. So regardless of how they opened, they were going to be there. The issue that I have is that we all look at Phil and, call him Mr. All-American, good guy, you know, we backslap him for all the, the fist pumping and the, the high fives and all of the things he does on and off the course. But it annoys me now looking at the fact that he withdrew for fatigue and not injury purposes. People paid hard-earned money to go on a Saturday or Sunday to mm-hmm. watch him. Does it remove the shine and should he be fined by the US PGA for withdrawing based on, on fatigue and not injury? Oh, sorry. Yeah, he definitely will be fined if you don't find if you don't withdraw for injury reasons or for I think it's family related reasons. You get a fine, and of course we touched on this about uh, the drugs policy. PGA Tour do not announce fines, so there's no doubt about it. He will get fined, mm-hmm. and he'll get. You wonder how much or how how significant it is in the yeah. grand scheme of things for these guys. You know, it might yeah. be a couple of thousand dollars, but slap on the back of the wrist. 
mean, the thing that's kind of very contradictory about what Phil did was only a few weeks ago he's going on about how the FedEx Cup is our end of season finale. It's important to be there, and you know, obviously not very important when you're not really in the mix, and it's easy to just kind of go, actually, you know what, I'll just take a take a couple of days off, and he would have needed a top eight, I think, to get through to the Tour Championship, and it's the first time he's ever missed the Tour Championship, and has in effect ended this season winless for the only the third time since his maiden season, but. In relation to the fatigue, do you accept fatigue as a reason for withdrawing? Is it something that we should be concerned about within golf that a number of players are talking about fatigue? It's kind of like an epidemic these days, isn't it? It's like if anyone has a round that's not is ending less than stellar, they just go, "Oh yeah, I'm tired, very tired, playing too many tournaments." Say, look, there are a lot of tournaments in a row, but you know, there's, there's ways to get around it. You know, it's probably mental fatigue more so than uh, physical fatigue. Um, like get yourself into the spa for a day, you know. Tell tell your sponsors to get your management to tell your sponsors to back off for an afternoon. You need a day, you need a little bit of time off. Um, I, I it's, it seems like the the catch all excuse for poor performance. I like I do think though I I actually think the players have a genuine concern or they do have a genuine thing when they say um, that they are they have fatigue because McIlroy has played eight out of the last ten events going into this weekend, so it'll be nine out of eleven events. And uh, Keimer has played seven events in a row. And whenever you hear about talking about, let's say, to some of the struggling pros, they always say you shouldn't play more than three events in a row. But I'm just so struggling; I need to keep playing every week. Mm. So I think when you're an elite player, these guys only want to play two weeks in a row at a max. And I, th- I think that's one of the faults. Kind of what you were touching on, James. Your original question is: I think that's one of the faults in the FedEx. And I might go back to the point that you made as well, Barry. Mm. At the start is this year. There's no break. And I think a lot of the players are suffering because when you see in the race to Dubai, they actually do take, you know, you only have to play two to three events so everyone can take a break and there's no problem. Yeah, yeah. just in case anyone doesn't know about the FedEx Cup, usually they have a break after the first two two tournaments, um, a week off before the next two, but because this year is a Ryder Cup year, they've squashed all four together. And I mean, look, these are coming on the back of very big tournaments. You know, the British Open or the Open Championship not too long ago, you know, the PGA Championships, um was oh, the other major, sorry, the PJ, sorry, the Players' Championship as well was on recently, wasn't it? Yeah, May. Oh, sorry, May. No, it was, there was another big one there recently. WGC. The WGC. PGA, that's it, yeah. WGC, Just yeah. so many big events. We, and yeah. ones that the players have to play, and you, you wonder whether they've got the timing of uh, the structure of these big events all, you know, knocked together. Whether you're going to get the best players show, playing their best golf at the time for these events, or whether, you know, guys like Billy Horshaw and Chris Kirk coming along, coming along and winning do that, you know, would they have won it ordinarily if this events have been better spaced? Mm-hmm. Well, based on that and dealing with the preview for next week, we are talking about the Tour Championship and I want to have a look very quickly at the players that are now in it. It should be only the top 30. I think only the top 29 are actually appearing because um, one individual <laughs> who is suspended but no, not suspended, not suspended. <laughs> um, is not in attendance. So the 30th player is taking another week off and is going to get a check for no apparent reason. But the top five at the moment is Chris Kirk, who's 50 to 1 this week, Billy Horschel 25 to 1, Bubba Watson 18 to 1, Rory McElroy 7 to 2 favourite, and Hunter Mayhan 28 to 1. It's my understanding, Barry, and you might just very quickly, if, if needs be, explain to the listeners that the top five positions, in effect, have their own destiny in their own hands to win the FedEx. Isn't that correct? Yeah, so if any of the top five win, it doesn't matter what 
anyone else in the tournament does or any of the other top five do in that tournament. They can't beat the points total of okay. one of those top five if they win. For anybody outside the top five, they need to win and various players above so them. There's a lot of calculations yeah. that are needed. There's actually there's a great little thing on the PGA Tour website. I think I'll go grab it and put it up on the Twitter account. It, it explains the scenarios for every single player, and it gets increasingly complex as you go further down the, the top 30. Perfect. Well, we'll, we'll tweet that. In, in relation then to the FedEx Cup winner, Bob, is it coming from that top five, or is there somebody outside of that, an Adam Scott or a Jim Furyk or a Ricky Fowler, that uh, you're looking at in terms of who's going to come through and win the $10 million? I think the obvious one really probably is Rory. He's playing very good at the moment, and he did even mention that after he won the um, the PGA Championship, that was after the WGC, that he mentioned this and still not play for the FedEx. So I think he's very much focused on that, and I think then then he'd be looking for the break after that. You know, With, with, with saying about Rory, do you think that in relation to the top 30 players, is he the most deserving of it of the way that he's played over the course of the season or can somebody who maybe doesn't actually just has a consistent season but doesn't necessarily have a, a win or a major season of, of, of victories come through should this really be Rory's ultimately as, as the best player out there at the moment well I think that's one of the big criticisms of the FedEx Cup is, is that Rory doesn't have it already licked and wrapped up you know that he could almost mm. take the wheel week off and win it but that's what actually happened with Tiger I think in the early years of the FedEx Cup he won it and he didn't even need to play the last week. And I think what the that's one of the downsides of the FedEx Cup. It doesn't necessarily find who the best player is over over a certain period of time. It's more finding who's the player coming into form closer to the end. Mm. They're looking to create drama, create a bit of excitement, and have a bit of a, a race towards ten million dollars in that. And that's what it does very well. But you know, Rory should be winning it. But it's a real American style playoff. You know, kind of run to try and get a winner at the end. Any bets you're having, any value out there for the listeners, anybody putting a few quid, especially, and I was looking at this and it was a question, I suppose, as listeners know, I'm not the, 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 the best in terms of betting, in terms of my knowledge of it, so somebody here who's better than me could answer this. With a small field of only 29 in, is there is this the time if you were kind of an amateur better to put your hand in your pocket as you don't have a field of 150 that you could be shooting for the stars and get nowhere? Well, if you look, if you look at the odds, um, you have more than half the field are at thirty-three to one and outside of that. So, in a twenty-nine player field, you know, they're effectively you run that tournament thirty-three times. That guy's going to win it once. So, you're, you're, there's um, there's a lot of value to be had there. Um, you know, Chris Kirk's won a couple of weeks ago, and he's at fifty to one. Quick question about Chris Kirk: All the talk about him being picked as a uh, captain pick's gone away quite quickly, hasn't it? It did, yeah. Well, he kind of poo-pooed the whole thing himself very quickly, didn't he? I, I think he's probably just maybe he's just trying to mask his own disappointments that he didn't get. He was, you know, he didn't get a pick. But I, but I think you know, Alan actually made a great point when we were away. He said the week before Chris Kirk won, nobody was talking about him as a as a mm. wild card pick. He go win, he goes and win. Then people are saying, well, why is he yeah. getting a wild card? A week later, and then nobody's talking about him again. So I think it shows that it was the right decision not to pick him. But winning. isn't this the point that we're making about Rory? And if he doesn't win the FedEx this week that it does make a mockery somewhat of the FedEx that Chris Kirk is currently ranked first in the FedEx now I know the, the top five are reset mm-hmm. but in theory if Billy, Bubba, Rory or Hunter have complete mares over the next four days this weekend Billy Hurt, uh, uh, Chris Kirk winning one tournament over the FedEx playoffs ends up winning $10 million yeah, you know yeah. so are you putting on a bet and if you are who and what price I am 
uh, going on my old favourite who won me a few quid for the US Open, Martin Keimer. Um, I saw a bit of him on Saturday evening when we were having a few Swedish bureaus. Mm. And, uh, is that how it's pronounced up yeah, there? Yeah, yeah <laughs> we, we, your we, Swedish is <laughs> as good as Alan's. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. You probably uh, had a Swedish meatball sandwich tax, as well. Taxermika is, is all I learned, which is thank you very much. Um, <laughs> Two yeah. more peers, please. I watched Kymer and I thought he was quite close to coming back to uh, his best over the weekend. I think yeah. he kind of faded over the weekend, but his greens and regulation, again, is the stat I always bang on about. Um, over the last three events, they've gone from 55% to 65% to 76%. He's seventh in the Deutsche Bank, sixteenth of the weekend. Um, I think he's starting to show signs that he's getting back close to that form that won the U.S. Open. And I think he's twenty-eight to one with Paddy Power yeah. in a thirty-man field. I think it's a great, place. unbelievable value. There yeah. really is great value to be had this week in the long shots. I I'm going to go for a long shot. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Gary Woodland has been showing uh, you know signs of form. This is a you know generally quite an easy track. Um, it was the easiest par seventy on tour last year, um, and you know it's it's set up to be. But Guy Woodland can really go low when it when it counts, mm. and um, he doesn't really have that pressure of the top five have yeah, in, yeah. in trying to win and take that ten million dollars. So he can just go on out ahead and try win the tournament, which is relatively easy in comparison to trying to win ten million dollars. You know, it might be the yeah. one week of the year where winning a tournament is probably the easier thing you'll do uh, for anyone outside that top five. Well I had Martin Keimer last week and he got off to such a flying start that I think I was already spending my winnings at forty <laughs> to one. But unfortunately uh, he didn't see it through. I, I like Keimer again and if uh, Bob the horseshoe Donnelly goes for it, then I think I'd better get in there before the, the markets move. KLM Dutch Open. This was won last year by Yost. That's him. Um he's ten to one this week. Brooks Kopaka. Cupcake. That's the one. Cupcake. <laughs> Cupcake. Yeah. Cupcake is a twenty two to one. Simon Dyson twenty two to one. Thomas Bjorn twenty two to one. Tommy Fleetwood Woodwood Fleetwood at twenty five to one. Paul Casey at twenty five to one and our own Shane Lowry at twenty five to one. Miguel Angel Jimenez at thirty three to one. He had a ding dong battle last year in relation to this tournament. Any value out there, any bets being had by either of you two? Not for me. I'm I'm actually a big fan of uh, Brooks Kupka. He's another one of these guys. I think we talked about it before. As well, that's mm. come over um, from the states, and they decided that they can come play the Challenge Tour, win three events on the Challenge Tour, and then you get onto the European Tour. So a bit like uh, Brooks Kupka and Peter Uline. Peter they're, Uline. they're good mates. Yeah, yeah. and. There's a big move coming over to play in Europe from the mm. US because they view that it's easier to go Challenge Tour in the European Tour, go European Tour, and Uline Kupka are now top 100 in the world. And David Lipsky, who won at the weekend, was yeah. American as well. Yeah. So there's, and I think I saw a stat a while ago, I might have mentioned it on one of the podcasts, but the number of people playing in Challenge Tour Q School from the States went up from something like mm. 20 to about 80. So there's a big influx at the stage. So I'll keep an eye on Cupcake. It's a lot to do with the way they've changed the qualification for tour cards and the PGA Tour as well. It's, um, this is this is a nice little back door for them to do it. So um, look, this is actually kind of a cool tournament because you know I like it because it's a linksy style golf course. And um, so if you know if anyone's having a bet, definitely look for players who kind of enjoy playing in the wind. You know, have had a bit of success on links tracks before. You know, so it's, I might actually have a little punch on Eddie Pepperell playing okay. all right recently. You know. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast, obviously from the British Isles, who so knows how to uh, you know manage the links he wins. Um, what odds are you getting on him? He's fifty to one. Fifty to so one. Not 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 right, So a few so, um, few out there to 
to keep an eye on. Oh, that. actually, my other tip last week. Do you remember Fiora to beat Stenson? Bingo. Yeah. Tobacco. No, like I actually, I went to find a seventy-two hole market. Do you remember Good. I was talking about yeah, Stenson yeah. having fatigue and... Uh, oh, you did. Yeah, mention yeah. That, yeah. So this is a week of us calling loads of things but not backing at all because Alan called... Um, Horschel. Horschel. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, good, uh, good, good, good week. We pretend like we know what we're talking about anyway. Well, yeah. we're close enough. Right? We just have to put our money where our mouths are. And we used to have two uh, female listeners until I kind of made a comment a couple of weeks ago, which I apologise for, which lost our two uh, women listeners, <laughs> which means that we can skip pretty quickly over the Avion Championship but it is the last women's major of the year and Suzanne Pedersen is defending in B Park is 11-2 to favourite second favourite is Suzanne Pedersen at 9-1 to Stacey Lewis 9-1 to and the rest go out from there and we'll see what happens over the course of, of the week just going very quickly back to the rules related question I'm not going to reread it but Barry you went with the two stroke penalty yep. Alan has come in and said he is going with C it's a disqualification and I can say that Alan's precursor to this was correct you are in trouble Barry and Alan has actually closed the gap now to two and again just very quickly as the player altered or damaged the characteristics of the club other than in the normal course of play the club may not be used for the remainder of the round under penalty of disqualification which is rule 4.2a during a stipulated round the player playing characteristics of a club must not be purposely changed by adjustment or by any other means. That, and that's that, where that rule comes in, is if you have your driver and you change it from 9.5 to 10.5 and you go on and use it, yeah, you just Now, it. if you change it, if he had changed it and he had not used it and told his marker that he had damaged the club and he was taking it out and he wasn't using it, okay. he would have been fine. Mm-hmm. He just couldn't. Once he hit the shot with it, he was uh, then disqualified. Um, so in, in relation to that, Alan is now two back. So perhaps uh, with the change of the questionnaire, it's <laughs> asking the questions, yeah. it's helping him. Good for the competition. Um, <laughs> so that look, <clears throat> that, that leads me just to say thank you um, for Barry and Bobby for their usual expert opinion and the input, and in particular to you, the listeners. If you didn't... Um, hear anything that you wanted to to get discussed please get in contact with us and have a great weekend golfing either playing or watching and we'll talk again next week bye bye well you're fine bye bye